Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer and I'm delighted to be your host. I'm the principal consultant at MetaMeta Consulting. We help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. Now in today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Abbas Ricky, Managing Director, Global Head Strategy and Transformation at Cloudera. This is episode two of our podcast series with Cloudera, and this episode focuses on optimizing the cost of data and analytics with a hybrid cloud. As we know, the promise of lower costs and more efficient use of technology through the adoption of public cloud are attractive, but in many cases, a simple shift to the cloud does not equate to cheaper deployments. We'll be exploring the area of cloud economics in more detail and looking at the many aspects that an enterprise business needs to consider before going all in on the public cloud. Thanks for joining me today, Abbas. First, before we get started, could you give us a little background about yourself? Hello, everyone, and I hope everyone's staying safe. Quick background about myself. I'm a management consultant by training. I joined Legacy Horton Rice Cladera four and a half years back, and I lead a strategy team within Cladera. We help our most strategic customers understand and articulate the value of the potential solutions and also map a digital transformation roadmap going forward as they move on to the cloud. And today I'll be talking with Scott about some of the elements that he's talked about, but also laying in particular focus on the business narrative and the total cost of ownership and elements which are associated with the financial side of the overall cloud economics perspective. That's great. So let's get started here. Why do people go into the cloud? Is the main driving force simply a cost element? So there are multiple reasons why people go onto cloud. Of course, cost is a big element, which is what I was referring to as cloud economics. However, there are other things, and I would say one of the key things is agility. So service levels get improved multiple times in cloud world. There are other reasons such as you get a much more robust analytical ecosystem. There is a better skills automation that you can enforce, whether it be DevOps, whether it be automation, whatever the case might be. And most importantly, you also get a much standardized procurement mechanism. So back in the days, a lot of the business organizations had to rely on group procurement or group IT to procure a specific piece of hardware. And that could take months. Add to that another few months of just getting that onboarding. And it would almost be six months to a year between the time you started a project to the time you actually were able to onboard your actual workloads. In the cloud world, it's super easy. You just get onto a specific provider, whichever CSP you're picking up, and you just start playing with it. You can onboard your use cases or workloads in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. So the whole point about cloud is your agility becomes much more efficient and you pay for only what you use. You don't have to commit to a specific number. You don't have to do budget planning accordingly. So I would summarize by saying agility is one. The cloud portability and procurement structures is second. And then the third one would be the DevOps and automation. That would be the last thing because of which people are looking at cloud. 
Great. So there's a lot of business and technological benefits to move, obviously, to the cloud. But I've heard some data leaders talk about sticker shock they have on their cloud bills. How can enterprises avoid that shock and get a better understanding up front of the costs involved? And that is true. And I'll give you an example we've heard as well. So we were working with a large oil and gas customer and the cloud bills that they had planned for in terms of annual run rate, that increased by 12 and a half times in month seven into their overall program. And a large part of that, it happens because people don't necessarily plan ahead. And when people are planning from a cost cycle perspective, they do it at a business level or a functional level or a geographic P&L perspective. Very few companies go down and start to build their cloud cost plan at a use case level. So picking a sensible use case with solid metrics is critical. So asking the metrics question early on, how much does it cost you? And do you have a solid understanding of will it evolve going forward? That's a big, big question. And that is a big element that most people should do. A lot of people will understand that over a five-year period, you have to move on from a lot of the legacy solutions that you might have. And there are multiple challenges that you will incur. There'll be redesign, there'll be rebuild, there will be new FT optimization, et cetera, et cetera. But each of those vary by different use cases. And it's not just family of use cases. So when I say use case, I don't just mean the single view of customer or single view of products or fraud or churn, et cetera. These are large buckets. Within churn, there are sub-use cases, which is contextual. And that's how you have to go ahead and define that. And that is one of the key things what people can do, which will give them a much more evidence and anecdotal percentage of cloud cost increases going forward. And they can defend their judgment when they're going and presenting that internally. So when they're making that investment thesis articulation, it's important for them to start with the overall business goal, then get down to the requirements to fulfill that business goal, which is where you do the use case mapping, and then getting down to the nitty gritties that what are the different costs involved for the sub-use cases that me or my unit or my organization would actually have to implement. And that is the right way, and that'll help them avoid the sticker shocks that we often hear in the media or the press or anywhere else. So you start at that high level, get down very granular to the use case basis, but then you, I assume you roll it back up to get some sense of what the expenditures would be? Exactly. You've hit the nail on the head. Yes. Great. So talk me through how you approach the cloud conversation for a non-technical C-level business audience. I'll connect to what I actually said in the previous question, which is we go ahead and start understanding what are the business requirements for a specific customer. What are your strategic objectives? What are your tactical imperatives? How do they link up with the various goals that you have as an organization, both from a technology perspective, but also on the strategic perspective? You marry them and you discover the key pain points that they have. So more often than not, you will see that tend to fall under multiple buckets. So we would typically go ahead and say, against each one of those buckets or segments, however you want to call through, what are some of the key challenges that they have from a data strategy perspective? Because we firmly believe data strategy is fundamental to your business strategy and your cloud strategy. Like almost 
all of those things are interlinked. And once we have a better view of that, that's when we will say, okay, can you actually map out the use cases, not only just now, for the next three years, what the benefits will be, what is the value attached to that, and can you execute within the constraints of time, cost, risk, and money? Against that, we will build a prioritization matrix. So think of that as a simple two by two. X-axis is business value, whatever metrics you choose. Y-axis is ease of execution. Once you've built that narrative, you will have some quick wins, you'll have some long-term plans. If you look at each one of them, they need to be dealt differently. It's only then we bring in the technology element and we get our pre-sales teams or our engineering and product experts and say, hey, let's just build out the best reference architecture and the best solution, which is suited and customized for that specific problem, for that specific use case or workload. Once we've done that, that's when we will get into the implementation phase. But majority of the business folks want to understand how are we able to help their business pain? And this is the process that I just walked you through. That's how we just break it down in multiple steps and go towards the technology side of things. So largely what I would say is not only just Clara, for a majority of the organizations, we have to transform ourselves and become a strategic partner of choice rather than just be a tactical provider of solution or products or services. And that's what we do. And that's what we're aiming to get better at as well. So it really is about the business strategy, how cloud, how data would enable the business strategy and the strategic intentions of that enterprise. I'm sure when you have a conversation with a non-technical C-level business audience, you're not talking about reference architecture implementation. You're talking about the, the key business drivers, as you said, the pain that the company or the enterprise is, is suffering from, and how do you alleviate that to help them move forward? Yeah, and I would say, just to think of it in simpler terms, majority of the businesses across domains, across functions, have only one or multiple value drivers, as we would like to call. So it's either cost reduction or cost avoidance or risk reduction or service improvement or revenue optimization, which is another word for time to market. Generally, majority of the use cases and the business outcomes can be bucketed across one or multiple value drivers. And if we can attach a specific validated, qualified and quantified metric against each one of them, it just becomes much easier for the business audience to understand the value that we are bringing to their overall strategy. And it also becomes easier for them to internally explain to their audiences, whoever that audience might be, that why should they select X or Y as part of their long-term strategy and operationalizing their digital roadmap or whatever the case might be. Yeah, my experience is with certainly with C-level business audience, it is all about, as you said, the why. It's not about the how. And the three big buckets that I've seen, grow your business, improve your business, protect your business. That's what the business folks are all about. So when you take a step back here, I know we dipped on this a little bit earlier, but how should organizations start to define their total cost of ownership model? So it's a great question because total cost of ownership can be across various levels. So the classical way is you actually start to boil the ocean and you have a look at all different buckets, which is hardware, software, FTEs, services, training, etc., etc. 
a slightly different approach is you look at it from a specific lens. So let's say if you're looking at the software side of things, and if we take the example of cloud, the three or four large buckets might be, what are your technology costs? What are your startup costs? The things that you will need, which is a one-time cost associated with things such as use case refactoring or data migration or re-implementation of security and governance or things that are critical, but it's a one-time effort. And then you also look at what are specific costs that I might incur to bring in operational efficiencies. And that can be dependent upon a solution. In the case of Cloudera or any cloud provider out there, it can be bucketed into the standard subjects such as security operations, database management, data cataloging, cluster management, so on and so forth. And then the fourth piece is that if I have to implement all of these together, how does it stack up with my current existing architecture? Meaning, what are the things that I need to do or what are the costs that I'll incur if I have to create that ecosystem? And then the third approach is I don't look at the overall TCO, which I just said. I don't look at the lens as an example, which I gave you for software, but I actually look at the TCO for a specific use case. So I'll give you an example. We were working with a large financial services institutions, and we went through multiple projects and sub-projects trying to understand the requirements and building the overall cost. But one of the key things that we realized is because the use case itself had been going on for more than 20 years, you would have to rewrite that application. And the cost of rewriting the application itself was two and a half to $3 million per application. And that's a massive cost. So a lot of people go and create TCO at a use case level and then roll that up as well. So I would say those are the three broad approaches that I have seen. Which one you should pick, it depends upon a host of things, how much time you have, how much data you have available, how easy is it for you to be able to do that. But most importantly, why is it that you're doing that? Are you doing that because you want to reduce your network cost? Or are you doing that because of the fact you're trying to reduce your overall cloud bill? Or are you doing this because any which was as part of your digital transformation program, you're going through a modernization cycle and you want to make sure that not only are you weeding out the costs, but you're actually going in for a new architecture in place, which is more aligned with the future in terms of the new applications that will be sitting onto the platform. So for organizations concerned about the nuances of cloud costs, ephemeral workloads are an option. So can you explain how this lowers costs and why organizations should consider it? Yes, and I, I think it's one of the key reasons why a lot of organizations are looking at cloud. So ephemeral workloads by nature are transient. So you spin up and spin down depending upon whatever the use case might be. So example, if I have to run a stress test in a bank, I don't need to have a workload running for the entire day. I might just run it and then I spin it down. If I am running a weekly report of around churn analytics in a telco, I might have to do it once a week or maybe two days a week, depending upon whatever the requirements are. So those kind of use cases, you can spike up from a usage perspective, but for the rest of the time, which is the rest of the week or the month or the year, etc., you're not actually paying for it 
from a compute standpoint. So cloud is primarily separation of storage and compute. So compute is what accounts for a large percentage of the overall cloud bill. So ephemeral workloads go a long way in optimizing the total cloud bill because your compute is only attached to the time when you're actually running the workload. And I gave you an example of what that looks like and therefore ephemeral workloads are key in reducing the overall cost as far as cloud is concerned, that's one. The second thing is persistent workloads, which is the opposite of ephemeral workloads, a lot of the times you just have to do it because that's the nature of the workload. So if I'm having to run a use case around cybersecurity, I naturally have to run it for 24 seven, 365. So that means I should treat that in a slightly different way compared to ephemeral workloads. And when I say I should treat that, that's not just in terms of where am I running that? Is it on-premise or public cloud or private cloud? But also, how can I optimize the actual usage of that use case as well? So if you combine both of them, that's where organizations that have a solid and robust hybrid strategy, they are making a much larger impact in terms of optimizing their overall usage profile. And they're the ones who are leading the way in terms of the ideal cloud strategy going forward. So that makes great sense. And as you start to talk about it, it seems to me you begin to bucket things between ephemeral and persistent, which relates in probably in more business terms as analytical workloads and operational workloads. So to that point, can you tell us the differences between analytical workloads and operational workloads? Sure. Analytical workloads generally tend to be ephemeral in nature and operational workloads tend to be persistent in nature. We actually did a survey a few months back with Big Data London, and we asked a bunch of C-level executives across various industries that what percentages of your workloads would be migrated onto the cloud three years from now. The overall sentiment was for large organizations, they believe anything between 30 to 35% of their workloads will move onto the cloud. And when I mean cloud, public cloud, particularly, over a period of three years. Companies that were born in the cloud, so the digitally native companies, or companies that don't have humongous amounts of data in form of production workloads, so petabytes of data, for them, it might be easier and might be faster to move onto the cloud. But if you split that workloads, the 30% number that I just said, we found out that a majority of the movement would amount for the analytical workloads. So close to 40 to 45% of the operational workloads out of the 30% number that we're talking about will stay on premise. And that shows you the general preference or the complexity between moving analytical workloads or operational workloads into the cloud. The second thing attached to that is there can be various types of ephemeral workloads. So something which is running for two hours or eight hours a day or 12 hours a day, or it can be longer. So we also asked the question then, how long do you run your ephemeral workloads for? Is it up to four hours a day? Is it four to eight hours? Is it eight to 12 hours? Or is it more than that? And almost 60% of our respondents said that majority of their ephemeral workloads are being run for roughly five to seven hours a day. 
So that is the sort of universal definition of what constitutes for an ephemeral workload, if I may. No, that makes sense in terms of just the time people spend or the time that these processes have to run. So can you walk us through the cost of data and analytics in regard to where the complications and the nuances come in? Sure. So I talked to you about the various TCO structures, right? So let me go through a specific example. So if I am looking at an overall cloud strategy, and if I am looking at optimizing the software cost per se, and assume I've started with the use cases, there are multiple different things that I have to consider. The things such as data and security and governance. So do I use my existing on-premise configuration for security and governance? Do I have a risk-free migration approach? Do I move the same workloads between on-premise or cloud? Is there a minimal migration capex involved or not? I will have to consider all those elements. But when I start looking into the workloads, I also need to look at the various capabilities and functions around data processing or data security, the environment visibility, and multiple different things. A lot of the times what happens is the cost of an analytical solution is judged on either what the overall outcome is or the CX, in a lot of the cases, some tools are just easier to understand and people look at it. And I'm not saying that is something that we should discount, but the people who are evaluating that, they factor that as a large element of that and they don't go down to the platform level and they don't look at the various nuances that I just said. As a result of that, you might be having a situation whereby you cannot roll back. That is, you're using an environment which is not as fail-safe, or you're having to require additional data migration tools, or you might have to go on and use different softwares or different applications from the ecosystem. And that is where your cost overruns start happening because you've started the project, and at that point in time, you just realize that, hey, I just need something for workload optimization. I need something for my application performance. I need something for my data governance. I need something for my data access control. So a lot of these nuances have to be figured in before you can design your overall cost for an analytics program. And a large part of that, again, starts with defining your right data strategy. If you've been able to do that, the architectural complexity reduces and naturally the robustness of your estimations increases. And that's how I'd say you can help avoid some of the cost overruns that we've seen. An informed strategy and a deeply informed process is key to doing this efficiently and effectively, not just jumping in. So we've talked a lot theoretically, which is wonderful, but people love to hear about real life stories. So is there a case study example you can share with us, let's say around financial services? Yeah. And it's interesting you ask financial services because if you look at the majority of the cloud spend across the large CSP providers, financial services seems to be a leader in that space, or at least one of the leaders. So I'll give you an example from one of the world's largest banks that we'd helped go onto the cloud. They have adopted a hybrid strategy and Clatera is the chosen strategic provider or partner for that. So when we started the overall 
program, we realized that there's a lot of legacy applications that they have. And also they have different clusters. There's a lot of replication that was happening. There were a lot of scenarios whereby the utilization of the clusters was suboptimal and you can define optimal based on utilization rates. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of that, but there were multiple challenges. So we developed a business case working with them, starting with the use cases again. And for each of the use cases, we tried to answer a few questions, such as what does your end state look like? For you to be able to get there, what are the key questions that you would have to answer? Based on those questions, what are some of the metrics that we believe we can actually quantify? And do we have the process in place to actually validate some of these? When we actually looked at that, we layered in our analysis across four of the five value drivers that I was talking about. First one was cost reduction. And they were able to save anything between 19 and 37% of their overall cost across various business functions. When you talk about the buckets in there, it included everything. It included reduction in the actual cost of the network infrastructure. It included the actual cost and reduction of the usage of the compute, which is ephemeral workloads, and can you optimize them? It included the reduction of the applications itself, and so on and so forth. Then we looked at, are there any costs that you can actually avoid because of the fact that as you go into the future, you might have to adapt this plan. And we realized that by using a specific solution, and in this case was us and a few other uh, providers uh, from an application standpoint, they could potentially avoid $50 million per year just in application rewrite cost. And that was a massive saving. And they were able to achieve that just by re-engineering and re-platforming or what people call it as re-architecting parts of the information architecture estate that they have. Third thing was risk mitigation. Now risk can be different types of risk. It can be liquidity, it can be capital risk, insurance risk, etc., etc. We were looking at operational risk. Can we help them reduce the operational risk? And we realized that we, if they followed a specific approach, which was the use case driven approach, they would be able to reduce that by almost 700 basis points. And then the last bit was service improvement. The current SLAs that they have, either for people-driven services, which they were employing multiple SIs out there, or for internal functions, that did not match to what their actual requirements should have been. So for example, the SLAs for every use case was the same, but actually you should segment it based on different parameters. It should be based on security, complexity, the time that you need to typically complete a specific project, and also the frequency of the cadence that you might have. So you went ahead and did that reprioritization matrix of the use case roadmap that they had. And then we looked at the reduction in the SLAs would amount to specific number of FT equivalent hours that they will be able to reduce. And that alone was helping them save more than two to $3 million per business unit per year. So that's a good example whereby you see all the value drivers come together in a one place 
and you see how by using a structured use case driven approach you can optimize your overall cost a beautiful story there abbas and it's always important to start as you mentioned start with the end in mind where does the business want to go and then work backwards on how to get them there so nothing's perfect but i'd love to hear your thoughts on a perfect situation at an enterprise how can you tell walking in that they're a candidate for a hybrid cloud so just walking in it'll be difficult to say if they're a candidate or not however once we've done some discovery it becomes fairly easy for us to assess are they the right candidate for hybrid cloud deployment some of the things that you should look are number 1 the types of workloads that you have number 2 is your current existing infrastructure requirements do they match up to your business strategy? Do they match up to your cost requirements? Do they match up to your future state targets that you have? And how should you be leveraging them going forward? Number three is, are you actually having the right processes in place to be able to go ahead and move certain workloads onto the public cloud? Because there are elements around security and governance that a lot of people haven't considered or they just don't have the paraphernalia to get that through. And lastly, most importantly, does it align with your overarching strategic objective? If your goal is to reduce cost at all cases, so for example, in the testing times that we are in right now, a lot of the airlines, for example, are having a tough time and they're going through different stages of inoccupancy within their fleets. So naturally, there are a lot of cost pressures that they have. And I would almost think that their strategic goals might be very different from some other industries, such as pharma or healthcare, who are on a different path. So does it align with your strategic objectives or not? Which is, is your overall goal to have an absolute cost reduction? Or is your overall goal to have a growth-oriented cost optimization play or something else? So in addition to the three tactical elements, which I just said, it has to align with the overarching strategy. And if it does, then you can have a much more informed discussion whether a customer should be going on to the hybrid deployment or not. And what is the right approach for that? Absolutely. We get back almost consistently to that same notion of you've got to align and support the strategic intentions of that enterprise and start there. Abbas, you've given us a lot to think about, and I appreciate your perspective. So before we wrap up, any final points you want to make or reinforce? Yes, there are two things to summarize the entire conversation. One, when you're talking about costs, you have to look at the lifetime cost of the actual project. And it shouldn't just be about the initial purchase price from a cloud solutions provider, whether that be IS or PaaS or SaaS. And second is it's about skills and compliance. So cloud is a great way for you to exercise multiple different benefits. However, you shouldn't be going onto the clouds if you cannot do DevOps and automation on premise. It just doesn't make sense. Similarly, from a compliance perspective, in the world that we live in, regulation is key and is continuing to become ever so more important. And we have to make sure 
that your cloud deployment strategy helps you to adhere with the multiple compliance requirements there might be across countries, across functions, and the more that will come forward in the years to come. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Abbas, for your time today. And we want to thank you for the insights you shared on today's podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast series at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever major podcast platform you use. Make sure to check out our previous episode. And on the next episode, we'll continue our exploration of cloud as we speak to Jan Kunik, CTO EMEA at Cloudera, about critical technology decisions for cloud. Until then, this is Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, reminding you that structured data works harder than unstructured data. Cheers. You've been listening to the EM360 Podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com. 